to Queer Said That, a queer history podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You can't see it, but Katie's dancing to something. There's a lot of Kingdom Hearts music in my head. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) We've Yes, there's been a lot of Kingdom Hearts. Today, we're going to talk about Audra Lord. Who? Audra Lord. Audra? Yes. So, do you know anything about Audra Lord? Not a goddamn thing. You know what she did? Anything? Nothing. Well, I just heard a YouTube clip where she was a, a poet. Yes. And yes. a lesbian. Yes. So that's that's what I'm working with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Audra Lord was born in 1934 and was a self-identified black lesbian mother warrior poet. Ooh. Yeah. She was born in New York City. Her parents were immigrants from Granada. She attended Catholic school and started writing poetry at the age of 12. <laughs> she went to Hunter High School, and she was the first black student at that high school because it was a public school for intellectually gifted girls. She worked on the school newspaper and published her first poem, Spring, in Seventeen Magazine in 1951. And she cites her inspiration for poetry being the only black girl at the school. Yeah, that makes sense. She said, quote, I used to speak in poetry. I would read poems. I would memorize them. People would say, well, what do you think, Audra? What happened to you yesterday? And I would recite a poem, and somewhere in that, the poem would be a line or a feeling I would be sharing. In other words, I literally communicated through poetry. And when I couldn't find the poems to express the things I was feeling, that's when I started writing my own poetry. And that was when I was 12 or 13. I mean, that's pretty cool. Pretty creative of a 12-year-old. Yes. I know you said, like, I guess it's a lot more nuanced than writing dashboard confessional lyrics in your aim away message. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I used to express my feelings at 12 or 13. Didn't we all? Yeah. I used to also write sad poetry, but probably nowhere near as good. (laughs) 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 It's okay. So she entered... She got her BA from Hunter College and her MLS from Columbia University. Masters of Library Science. Thank you. I, MLS. Okay. Major League Soccer. Got it. Yeah. She got her Major League Soccer <laughs> from Columbia University. Got it. She was a librarian in New York Public Schools throughout the 60s and had two children with her husband, Edwin Roberts, who was a white gay man, before they divorced in 1970. Wow. Go figure. In 1972, Lord met her longtime partner, Frances Clayton. She also began teaching as poet-in-residence at Tougaloo College. What college? Tougaloo. Tougaloo? Where's yeah. that? Tougaloo. Which is in Mississippi. Her experiences with teaching and her place as a black queer woman in academia basically obviously informed her work because the academia hasn't really changed much it's still very white and snobby and privileged Mm -hmm. so especially as a queer black woman in the 70s like yeah i would think that would inform your work yeah she was really one of the first people especially to write about the intersection of race and class and gender um, in essays like The Master's Tool, Not Dismantle, The Master's House, she gave a lot of contribution to, to feminist theory and race studies and queer theory. 
and kind of obviously ever you know put them all together in in writing obviously people knew this intersected before different identities Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that the black queer experience is obviously different from the white queer experience and the quite the female experience male experience and all that is a jumbled mess Mm -hmm. and shouldn't be trying to be separated (laughs) so she earned her position at tougaloo college in 1968 and she also, that's where she kind of had, she like inspired a bunch of black militant poets oh. in her time there. This obviously also fueled her writing and kind of helped inspire her and realize her identity as a lesbian. Because that's when she, you know, found Francis and they fell in love. Lord and the two children that she had built a family life with Francis Clayton. Oh. And basically, this relationship is the reason why <laughs> her and her husband got divorced. But he, but like, did did she know that he was a gay man? I don't know. Like they just like they could have just like somehow found each other, been like, oh, this is convenient. Let's marry each other. Yeah, but I think it seems like they were both trying real hard. Yeah, to be straight, and it's like, and then she was kind of like, nah, it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> here's this lady I want to. <laughs> spend time with and also our children also great bye thanks but apparently he was like that's great see ya yeah apparently in 1974 she published new york headshot and museum which like before a lot of the books and her writings focused on love and but this one was her most political Mm -hmm. writing to date she also wrote about her struggle to overcome breast cancer she was diagnosed in the 70s and she had a mastectomy And she wrote The Cancer Journals in 1980, which basically was a very large work of, like, illness narrative. And this is super highly regarded. And she, you know, confronts the possibility of death. So through writing this, she was able to address the silence surrounding cancer and illness and basically that experience of women kind of that silent suffering that we're all supposed to be doing. (laughs) Yeah. She, you know, in the book, she talks about how she didn't wear a prosthesis. After undergoing the mastectomy, she said, Prosthesis offers the empty comfort of nobody will know the difference. But it is that very difference which I wish to affirm because I have lived it and survived it and wish to share that strength with other women. If we are to translate the silence surrounding breast cancer into language and action against the scourge, then the first step is that women with mastectomies must become visible to each other. Fair. Yeah. I think so. And in... 1981, she became one of the founders of the Women's Coalition of St. Croix, which was dedicated to help women who have survived sexual abuse. Mm. And in the late 80s, she helped establish sisterhood in support of sisters in South Africa to benefit black women affected by injustice and apartheid and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. She was kind she was doing all the things. Yeah. And in 1984, she started a visiting professorship in West Berlin at the Free University of Berlin. During her time in Germany, she became a part of the Afro-German movement. Together with a group of black female activists in Berlin, she's the one who coined the term Afro-German and gave rise to the black movement in Germany. Huh. Yeah, it's not something we obviously think about nope. in the United States. <laughs> but it makes sense because 80s is still only 40 years. It's not... It's less than a... Yeah. It's like a generation and a half. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also in the 80s, because she's doing everything. (laughs) Late 80s, she and fellow writer Barbara Smith founded Kitchen Table, Women of Color Press, 
which was dedicated to furthering the writing of more black feminists. She obviously became increasingly concerned about the play of black women in South Africa, and that's why she created the Sisterhood in Support of Sisters of South Africa. She addressed her concerns in the United States, but in the world, and you know, encouraging a celebration of differences in society instead of isolation, mm-hmm. which, you know, good message. I support it. In 1985, Ward was diagnosed with liver cancer. Jesus. And by 1988, her 17-year relationship with Francis Clayton had ended. Ugh. Ward spent the remaining six years of her life in St. Croix with Gloria Joseph, where they were embraced by a community of women. Before her death, she was quoted as saying, I don't want to die looking the other way. She died of liver cancer on November 17, 1992. And her ashes were scattered in the Caribbean, Germany, and the United States. A collection of her poems were published in 1997, five years after she died. Well, was she not published before? She was published, but just the whole, like, having a whole club. Oh, they oh, they oh. were in, like, one spot. Right, right. Together. Gotcha. What, uh, I don't know much about, like, poets or poetry, but I'm like, like, who, do you know who her, her, like, contemporaries were as far as, like, well, if we're talking about, like, the 60s and 70s... Like, I just wonder if she, like, hung out with any of, like... I don't know. So, in the 60s, you kind of had E. Cummings, W.H. Alden, Jack Kerouac. I'm trying to find names that you, you know, actually <laughs> know. Theodore Weiss? Nope. Nope, okay. <laughs> but, like, would, like... If you were into poetry in the 60s, would you know who she was? I think if you followed, you know civil rights and kind of followed you know black feminist work probably right i don't think i think i think her book the the cancer journals kind of put her more on like a mainstream mm-hmm. like mindset i don't i mean it's kind of like who are the poets now i don't know i don't follow poetry right that's kind of the point <laughs> but they exist right and people are gonna be talking about them like on a podcast 20 years from now yeah so really, so like her most famous work probably had nothing to do with queerness or blackness. It was more about the feminine experience, I guess. Well, yeah, but it was her experience, so it was the black queer feminine experience. That's true. So I, I would, I would say that's. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, she wrote a lot about intersectionality, and there is a good quote from her. Yeah, do you have like a sample poem? Poem. Yeah, I can. I can read you some poetry. <laughs> oh, because there's a, a there's a famous image of her from a chalkboard, which I'm showing Katie right now, but I'm sure I'll post it. And it says, women are powerful and dangerous. <laughs> so that's kind of one of her more iconic people know her because of that. You want to hear a poem she wrote? I do. What's this one called? It's called Power. Okay. Well, when was this written? This was written in 1978. Okay. The difference between poetry and rhetoric is being ready to kill yourself instead of your children. I am trapped on a desert of raw gunshot wounds and a dead child dragging his shattered black face off the edge of my sleep. Blood from his punctured cheeks and shoulders is the only liquid for miles, and my stomach churns at the imagined taste while my mouth splits into dry lips without loyalty or reason, thirsting for the wetness of his blood as it sinks into the whiteness of the desert where I am lost, without imagery or magic, trying to make power out of hatred and destruction. 
trying to heal my dying son with kisses. Only the son will bleach his bones quicker. A policeman who shot down a ten-year-old in Queens stood over the boy with his cop shoes and childish blood, and a voice said, Die, you little motherfucker, and there are tapes to prove it. At his trial, this policeman said in his defense, I didn't notice the size nor anything else, only the color, and there are tapes to prove that too. Today, that 37-year-old white man with 13 years of police forcing was set free by 11 white men who said they were satisfied justice had been done. And one black woman who said they convinced me, meaning they had dragged her for 10 black women's frame over the hot coals of four centuries of white male approval until she let go. The first real power she ever had lined her own womb with cement to make a graveyard for our children. I have not been able to touch the destruction within me, but unless I can learn to use the difference between poetry and rhetoric, my power too will corrupt as poisonous mold or lie limp as useless as the unconnected wire. And one day I will take my teenage plug and connect it to the nearest socket, raping an 85-year-old white woman who is somebody's mother, and as I beat her senseless and set a torch to her bed, a Greek chorus will be singing in three-fourths time. Poor thing, she never hurt a soul. What beasts they are. Shit. Yep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what are your reactions? What are your reactions? I'm the one who read it. No, I mean, it, it's not good how, like, the more things change and more things stay the same. It's like that very well just could have been written yesterday. Yeah, we just passed um, what would have been Trayvon Martin's 24th birthday. Yeah. I think this past week. Yeah, and just like, oh, it's on tape. And, you know, like in the 70s, I guess it's like wouldn't be videotape, right? It probably just would have been like audio, but like. Yes, but still. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's the same same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's the power. I know you're not a huge poetry fan, mm-hmm. but that is kind of the power of poetry and it's a way of expressing things without like without like writing this is what happened and i'm mm-hmm. really fucking pissed off about it yeah i think it creates a more powerful message in some respects obviously prose obviously has its importance as well right but you know sometimes it's easier to express pain and when you when you're a writer, sometimes it's just easier to express it in different ways. And if your your way is poetry, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, poetry. <laughs> now, are you more interested or less interested in poetry? Oh, I mean, it's the same. Yeah, the same. Yeah. So, like, that was an example of like the intersectionality of her writing, I guess. Right. Yeah. You don't, she was a black woman who was queer and a mother and... Yeah, she really had all of the the experiences checked off there. Yeah, so it was one of those things where obviously that pain exists within the heterosexual community, obviously. But yeah, I think she was pretty much, like through that and, you know, many other poems that she wrote you know, kind of touched upon this intersectionality, which we're still, for some reason, thank you, internet, I guess, debating whether it should exist or not. <laughs> because Nah, nothing's connected. Reasons? We don't we don't need to bother. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean even 
I mean, especially, you know, we both live in Philadelphia, obviously, and all of the problems with the racism that exists in the gay bars in Philadelphia notoriously have been busted mm-hmm. <laughs> multiple times for it, essentially. And you have the same people also saying that we shouldn't need to think about the black queer experience versus the white queer experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, y'all are dumb. Right. <laughs> My experience as a white queer lady is going to be different than someone's white trans experience or black queer experience or a black gay man or a white gay man. It's just, it's never going to be the same. And I wish that we were more positively aware of that, I guess. Yes. I think. Yeah. And it makes me, I won't go on the soapbox too much. It makes me mad, especially white gays who are more invested in white supremacy mm. than the protecting their community yeah no that's pretty much seems to be the fuck you got mine that 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 attitude that you know is terrible yeah but it seems to be yeah sexism and white supremacy are a powerful drug yeah obviously nothing much has changed uh that but yeah Oh, also, fun fact, what? I forgot to mention. What? Audre Lorde, her initial way of spelling her name, first name, had, was E-Y, but she dropped the Y because she wanted to match with Lord L-O-R-D-E, so it would be parallel. Oh. See, I was thinking, I was like, how is that going to match? Because I was just thinking L-O-R-D. Yeah. She spelled it like Lord, like the singer now does. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I am Lord. Yes. Yeah. But she did it first. Yes. <laughs> Do you happen to know how many poems she had written? Let's say published, I guess. I know that she wrote several volumes of poetry. I don't know if there's necessarily a number. But to talk about the intersectionality, she did write a novel, Zami, A New Spelling of My Name, where she focused on how her different identities shaped her life hmm. and her different experiences because of them. And also, in the Cancer Journal, she said, If I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. So, like, I th- most of what she wrote spoke to race and gender mm-hmm. and sexual orientation and socioeconomic status and race relations and everything. Because that, that, that makes sense. Who she was. Yeah. So she was pretty prolific. Yeah. Yeah. It's very... It's... It's rare for someone to, that combination of being so aware of yourself, but also being able to write it down so beautifully and coherently and powerfully. Mm-hmm. I don't think that intersects too much. Otherwise, we have a million at- poets at mm-hmm. a given time. Yep. When I was in the eighth grade, I said I, my job in my eighth grade yearbook was to be a poet. That didn't happen. It's probably for the best. <laughs> Stop it. You're, I read your poems. You've read a poem. You can't remember the other ones. Yeah, apparently I read some when we first started dating, and I guess I didn't have the reaction that Amanda wanted, and then she never wrote poetry until, like, a No, I ago. read you the poetry, and oh. you were like, meh. And I was like, okay, maybe I should stop writing poems. I don't think I was like, meh. I just probably didn't understand it, because... 
society will understand poetry. I just assumed that was garbage. And then, but no, I don't. I, I don't remember having that reaction, and so I apologize. It's okay. I, I still don't think I'm going to be a full time poet, so that's fine. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? No, I mean, I think that's it. I wanted to make sure that we went. I wanted to focus on Black queer women for February since it is Black History Month, mm-hmm. and obviously throughout that as well. But make sure there was a focus on that, particularly highlight important women to the movement, mm-hmm. because obviously, like Byron Rustin and other people we're going to talk about in the future, these people kind of <laughs> parts of themselves get erased because people refuse to acknowledge that intersectionality exists. Their blackness gets erased, or their queerness gets erased. Where femininity gets erased, and we should stop doing that. Right. I think is a good message. <laughs> All I, right, people, go stop doing that. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that's the end of our show. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at queersdidthat at gmail.com or tweet us at queersdidthat. And until next time, make history gay and make gay history. I'm going to go play Kingdom Hearts. Bye. Bye. Careers and poems.